1: going on everybody welcome back to believe in the jaguars right here on the believe podcast network my name is phil smith aka phil the filipino and as always i am joined by my co-host mr james johnson the managing editor over at the jaguars wire and jay we have made it (laughs) the season is over 15 straight losses but more importantly some major changes along the way jay i'm really excited to get to this episode we have some exciting guests which we'll introduce in a moment but you know, the season's over. And uh, like you said, congratulations on both you and I making it through the year.
2: <laughs> Somehow, some way, we made it right. <laughs> and me, it's funny, man, you said this in the beginning of the season, right? That this was going to be a long one um, and it turned out to be longer than we expected. And I think me and you and even probably Eric too, who uh, is one of the guests on today's show. I, I think we all, I can't remember the prediction show and what we all had us predicted at, but me and you and Eric were probably along the lines of five to six wins, and they fell short of that by a long shot. So <laughs> <laughs> that shows we know what the hell we're talking about, right? But um, that being said, man, yeah, glad to be back, man. Glad the season is over, albeit it's not really over for me and you because uh, it's going to be a busy offseason. Most uh, probably one of the most important offseason in Jaguars history when you look at what's at stake and all of the assets. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, glad to be back, as I said, and I'm glad to have some guests on here uh, and Eric and um, Aaron as well, because, I mean, you know, it gets a little old me and you flapping our guns to each other for 45 minutes. So <laughs> uh, we, we get some new voices in here, man, and, and get to hear some tapes from other people as well. So, man, I'm ready to get going, man. Well, you know, as the
1: saying goes, Jay, misery loves company. And there's a whole lot of that here on this episode. And we're going to introduce our guest here in just a moment. Before we begin, I want to remind you guys that if you are enjoying the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a five star review. We really appreciate all of you that have done that thus far. We're also available on all of your favorite podcast directories, which of course includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And before we get going, I do have to give a special shout out to this week's sponsor, betonline.ag. You know, guys, the NBA and college basketball are back, the NFL playoffs are right around the corner. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat as NBA champions or someone to upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. Now, Jay, of course, a whole lot of uh, excitement going into, um, of course, the NFL playoffs. But again, I'm going to bring up the Royal Rumble because you can now throw down bets on the Royal Rumble. Currently, the favorite does sit at Big E. Actually, Jay, I don't know if you know this. The other favorite was Goldberg which now we know it will not be because he's going to go one-on-one with Drew McIntyre. I'm actually happy that that's not going to happen. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag. And sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So that being said, guys, let's introduce both of our guests here. We have a first-time guest in Mr. Aaron Smiley. He is one of the co-hosts of the Sports Is to Life podcast, a really, really great show that you guys need to check out. He and his host, uh, he and his co-host, Courtney, uh, do topics from all over sports. And uh, Aaron is also a really big Jaguars fan. Eric and I have actually had him on our podcast, the Wait For It podcast. And I'll make sure to link that episode as well down below because it was a whole lot of fun. But Aaron, first and foremost, thank you so much for being here. We're glad that you made it through 2020, both as far as just the world in general, but more importantly, the Jaguar football season. So how are you doing tonight? Uh, 2020 was good for me personally. I got married, so that that was fun.
0: Um, as far as the Jaguars go, I believe my prediction at the beginning of the season was negative <laughs> one. No lie. Like I told all my friends, I was like, we're probably not going to win a game at all, especially once they let go of uh, Mr. Fournette. But needs to say, I was kind of annoyed that we won the first game of the season against the Colts because I was like, this is not supposed to happen. And then sure enough, the
1: rest of 2020 happened. And here we are. They looked pretty good in week one and week two. So we were getting a little worried about what that was going to mean for our future prospects. And yeah, of course, uh, you know, as, as Aaron mentioned, you didn't get married in 2020. Congratulations. And not only that, Jay, I don't know if you guys know this, Eric, I'm pretty sure you know, uh, as I'll introduce him here in a moment. But Aaron, a, a buddy of The Rock now as The Rock shared one of your photos from your wedding, which was just awesome. That's I mean, that's a really cool story. At least that came out of 2020. Yeah, we uh, me and my groomsmen
0: did a toast uh, with his tequila, terramana And, you know, I, I took a shot first. The Terramana brand retweeted me. I was like, OK, that's fine. But I want the real thing. Like, I I want you to reach out to your your main man. And sure enough, like a couple days after the wedding, I woke up and I checked my phone when I woke up in the morning and somebody had replied like, yeah, The Rock responded. I was like, wait, what? And I look over at The Rock's page and I like woke my wife up. I shook her like 37 times. (laughs) Look, look what happened. And she was like, oh, my gosh. So you couldn't tell me anything for like a week because I was like "Me, me and The Rock are tight.
1: No, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool yeah man yeah no one's ever going to be able to take that away from you except the rock i guess <laughs> and then of course our other guest eric Serna, aka mr eric almighty my co-host over on the wait for it podcast which is a pop culture show that you guys i think will really enjoy if you enjoy things like um you know movies tv film anime all that kind of stuff so eric this is your second time here thank you so much for coming back i was thinking about this the other day if you ever hold any remorse towards me for making you a Jaguar fan, because at one point you were not, and I converted you. So apologies if I have never apologized for that before.
3: Well, you know, uh, when you move to a new place and you you meet new people, you just kind of have to roll with what they like. You know, I don't have anybody here that loves the Giants like I love the Giants. I don't get to see them play. In fact, I've only seen them play once because I live in Jacksonville now. So I figured, hey, you know what? Why don't we... Root for the hometown team. And I think I got a really cool Hail Mary out of it. And outside of that and a really big letdown in the AFC championship, uh, it has not been good. In fact, I'm still not sure. I don't know for a fact. But I'm pretty sure I still haven't gone to a game that we've won. We actually beat the Giants when you went to that game. Which was to add insult to injury. So, yes, to, 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 to that point, uh, the only
1: win is against my team. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. We were down. yep. Yeah, we were down. And Eric wore a Giants jersey. He chose his allegiance that day. I did. And then we got you back by making you hire Tom Coughlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Well, that's that brings up wounds I don't want to discuss. But, guys, there is so much to talk about here today. Of course, as you can hear, we have a full house. And I'm excited to get into everything with you. We're not going to discuss the game because why would we? We're just going to talk about the past a little bit. And also, more importantly the future? Because honestly, guys, this is going to be most likely the most exciting offseason in Jacksonville Jaguar history. And we're going to start with, of course, the news that broke yesterday, which was Monday, January 4th. And here is Shad Khan. Um,
4: I think, uh, as you know, uh, we are making a change with our head coach. Uh, I spoke to Doug at length this morning, and I'm grateful for what Doug did serving the city. Uh, with grace and he cared a lot about the Jaguars and the people here in Jacksonville. And it really, I think it was difficult, but really the right thing to do. I wish Doug Helen and his family well, and I'm sure he's going to enjoy success in his next stop. So now uh, we'll continue our search for our new general manager and it will also be time for us to find a head coach for the Jaguars. All right. So, of course, that was the breaking news. I think that we were all expecting.
1: Uh, so, Jay, I want to hear from you first. You know, again, no surprises, really. Um, but I'm going to go down the line and speak, and ask all three of you when it comes down to Doug Marone's tenure. Because I think as a person, at least especially in the media, he's pretty well liked. I think he's a guy that kept it real and he was a guy that was very honest. So, Jay, when you look back at Doug Marone's tenure, what are you going to think about? Do you think he's a guy that got a little bit of a raw deal? Do you think maybe he was in over his head? Where do you land on Doug Marone's, you know, uh, tenure here with the Jaguars?
2: That's a great question. And I I thought about this and I've talked about this with people. And the one thing that sticks out about Doug Marone's career here is the fact that, and it actually might have been you and Boogie that I spoke with about this. When you look at the pecking order in terms of how the hierarchy was with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tom Coughlin, obviously, at the top at, at one point in time, at least. And Dave Carlo under him. And then it was Doug Marone, basically. I think of the three, and if you want to include the very, very top, is, is Shaq Khan, obviously. So if you want to look at those four people and what transpired with the Jacksonville Jaguars and how they got from where they are in 2017 uh, to currently, if you want to place the blame on somebody, Doug Marone probably deserves the least amount of blame. So that is the thing that I'm going to like remember most about his tenure here is how what Tom Coughlin did, mostly Shad Khan did, and some of what Dave Caldwell did ultimately ended up getting him fired. Now, I agree with firing him because at four years, you you should move on. I mean, if any of us did our job wrong for four years or, or had the results that he had for four years, uh, you know, we wouldn't have our jobs. Now, albeit again, as I said, you know, a lot of what happened and transpired isn't his fault. Uh, you know, there was friction between him and Tom Coughlin, reportedly at one point in time. Uh, Dave Caldwell traded away a lot of his best players. So the writing was on the wall in terms of them having a down season. And, you know, he ultimately was the last one uh, to fall from the situation. So uh, that being said, I wish him the best. Um, I do think Doug Marone is a good coach personally. Uh, I think he's going to find somewhere and catch on pretty well. Um, I, I tend to think he'll be more so probably a positions coach again somewhere in the NFL uh, but he shouldn't have any issues finding work on the college ranks as a head coach. I do think if he goes to the college ranks, he'll be pretty good at what he does Um, depending on the program, of course. Uh, But that being said, um, yeah, I think he's going to be in good hands, going to miss Doug. And like you said, yeah, man, like it, it's crazy because Doug Marone came here on what people would consider bad terms, how he left the city of Buffalo and he came here and he's kind of endeared if you will. So, uh, you know, at least there's that, despite him getting fired. Well, let's go to Aaron
1: here next, because I was talking about this with a friend recently, because I don't feel the same way about Doug as uh, as I felt when Gus Bradley left, right? I was just totally tired of Gus Bradley. And, you know, even though he, he, he also was a nice guy, but the positivity in a situation that was just not good really irritated me with Gus Bradley. So same question for you with as far as Doug Marone goes, when you look back at this, you know, his whole tenure here in Jacksonville, Good, bad, or somewhere in the middle? I feel like somewhere
0: in the middle... Uh, Jay has some pretty good points like he definitely does not get most of the blame as to what happened, especially these last three years. I think the main thing that I take away from Marone's tenure is that with us being a small market, Marone is the type of guy that is probably the ideal personality for a small market because he was basically no nonsense. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and work hard and and get stuff done. Unfortunately for him, the results did not follow. And I think in some points he was uh, loyal to a fault, especially with regards to keeping Todd Wash as defensive coordinator, even though our defense has progressively gotten worse over the last few years. And once again, that's not necessarily his fault because our front office traded everybody away. But I appreciate, you know, he took everything in stride if he had to get spicy with somebody You know, he he just he came here to do a job. He didn't get it done. I feel like he's going to land as a positions coach somewhere else, too. I don't know how many more head coaching shots he's going to get because he wasn't that successful in Buffalo, like, record-wise. And at the end of the day,
1: now we're only counting, like, wins and losses. Well, you know, Eric, When we'll, well, then we'll go to you as far as Doug Marone. You know, the Doug Marone statue out front of a, a TIA Bank Stadium. What's that hypothetical statue say when it comes to Doug Marone's tenure in Jacksonville? I,
3: I would assume it says I'm overrated and was part of the problem because <laughs> I don't know... <laughs> I don't know where all this Doug Marone praise came from, but did you guys watch him coach a lot of these games? Like he's an okay coach, but like when you look at Doug Marone and you see the way he coaches, did we ever really expect better than eight and eight with him? I mean, when you really look at his overall body of work, his demeanor leadership, play calling, I mean, everything just to me, just screamed average. That's why I was always so angry that we signed him, you know, out of the three, Caldwell, Coughlin, Marone. I was most upset that we kept Marone, but he seemed to be a call, you know, uh, a Coughlin guy. Apparently that might not have been the case towards the end. I don't know. I'm not feeling all this Doug Marone love that's uh, this
1: Doug Marone love that's coming around here. I don't know what this is all about. I think the thing is, with, well, at least when I look at it and Jay, maybe you can uh, elaborate or uh, agree or disagree when I, I think that Doug was dealt a little bit of a raw deal, do I think that he is this elite coach? No, absolutely not. But given the circumstances over the last few years, especially throughout his entire tenure with Tom Coughlin, you know, with being saddled with a guy like a Blake Bortles and, and then, you know, uh, Nick Foles for, for a little bit, I think he was given a little bit of raw deal. And I think maybe the fan base is a little bit more um, aware of that than they were with, like, like I mentioned, Gus Bradley.
2: Yeah. I think with Doug, you know, if you go back to his days at Syracuse, too, and, and even Buffalo, you know, he's never had the elite talent, you know. So I, I always have held that. Uh, I've always kept that in mind with him in terms of the records he's produced, because when when he was given the tools, the adequate tools, and we saw that in 2017, the results were pretty good and the Jaguars were an elite team. And not only were the Jaguars an elite team, and and this pains me to say because it was partly because of Todd Wash, but the Jaguars had a historic defense that put up historic numbers. And from that perspective, when when that happened, when that season happened, I had a little bit more respect for Doug Marone, and I saw what he could be uh, if he had all of the adequate tools in these other places that he could have been. So that being said, um, you know, all of that faded away at the end of the day. After 2017, you know, they they signed Blake Bortles to a long term deal. And that was partly, by the way, Eric, you, you actually um you asked about this. Um, Why did they keep Doug Marone? Well, the answer was they kept Doug Marone. And this is one of his flaws. Again, he deserves the least amount of blame of everybody there. But this is one of his big flaws that probably uh helped get him fired. And that was he was the guy that said, hey, um, I can work with Blake Bortles and I can keep him. And that's ultimately why the Jaguars stuck with him because they wanted to stick with Blake Bortles while the other coaches that they interviewed were like, no, give me a new, um, you know, give me a new quarterback. So he said he can, he can work with Blake Bortles. And, you know, he did to an extent. I mean, they completely eliminated him from the offense, if you will, and just, you know, gave everybody a heavy dose of Leonard Fournette. But had he gotten the right quarterback, um, and, and look, I can even go as far as saying this. Like, I didn't want Doug Marone to be the coach this year. I, I wanted to move on. But if you give him a Trevor Lawrence and you, you know, you give him uh, this offense that he had this year with a year of experience next year, I could make the argument that Doug Marone could do some damage in the league. Uh, but again, the only issue is he's done his job bad for three years of the four that he's been here. Therefore, he had to be. Uh, fire at the hands of Sean Conley.
3: Listen, I'm going to completely, you know, respect your football acumen, but I disagree (laughs) wholeheartedly. I do not. Honestly, I think you could give him Tom Brady and Jerry Rice in their prime. and He's not winning more than eight games in in four seasons. (laughs) He might have one good year as a coach. And part of that to me, I'm being dramatic, but part of that is the fact that I think if we're going to hold the GM accountable for the players that he did or did not have at times, you know, we have to hold him accountable for the coaching staff. And I mean, I think there's been terrible decisions under his tenure made with the coaching staff where it just didn't pan out and it didn't work out. But for me, if you're an average coach, of course, you're going to say you're going to work with Blake Bortles so you can get the job. You're coming from the high of a championship game. But again, I think that it was just all a mirage. And I really don't think He's that good of an NFL coach. I really liked what you said earlier about the potential of maybe college. I feel like that might be a better fit for him, but you know, he's not on the roster anymore. He's not on the team anymore. So it's kind of a moot point, but yeah, I
1: I don't feel the Marone love uh, quite so much. Yeah. So of course, you know, we're, we're going to bring in a new coach and a new GM and you see all of these national media outlets talking about how this is the most desirable job in football right now. And here's what Shad Khan had to say about that.
4: Well, uh, Mark, I certainly think there's a huge amount of interest, uh, you know, in this uh, much more so than the last time around. Uh, And I also look at really, uh, you know, we're in a much different and I would say a better position today than we were a year ago. A uh, little over a year ago, as you well know, and I think you reported, we did have team disharmony and, uh, you know, we were uh, for to use the word salary cap hell. Uh, I think today, um, you know, I frankly thought we would do better in the season. We won three games. I mean, we won six games last year. And uh, but, um, um, you know, certainly we have a lot of salary cap uh availability along with the draft picks and um, obviously the number one pick. uh, What's evaded the history of the Jags uh, really has been a franchise quarterback. And I think what's unique uh, certainly is that we have the ability now to make a choice and it's going to define the franchise moving forward.
1: So Eric, we'll start with you this time around. Do you believe uh, what the national pundits are saying? That between the Jaguars, of course, as far as the other jobs that are available, we have the L.A. Chargers, New York Jets, Detroit Lions, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Those jobs are all available. Uh, Do you agree that Jacksonville should be the most coveted? I really do.
3: And, you know, it's like little things like the state tax, the sunny weather. You know, we could definitely use a better stadium, but... Outside of that, I really think that it's a We have a dog park? Yeah, we do. We do. Um unfortunately you you can't go in the pool during the games as a player. Or can you? We never really You guys should follow up on that, but my thoughts are Trevor Lawrence immediately makes it the most desirable destination. You could look at Justin Herbert in Los Angeles, but I mean really that's this that's team B in LA and I think a lot of people have given them a lot of crap about that. So You know, for me personally, I just think that Jacksonville and no bias is just the best destination for for any head coach. And I think that means we're going to get a good
1: one, hopefully. So what about you, Aaron? Do you think that, you know, with all of the resources that somebody incoming as far as a coach and a GM are going to have to work with? I mean, Jacksonville seems like it's going to be the place to be. Right. Despite all of our history. This is where you want to come.
0: You is the most desirable position if we really want it to be. and. I've said this for years is like, Jacksonville, yes, we're a small market, but sometimes the front offices just acted like we're a small market and they don't want to put the effort into, you know, landing some high, you know, profile names. And, you know, the the perfect example of that was when we drafted Jalen Ramsey, like this city went crazy. And he lived up to the billing of being one of the top defensive backs in the league, and then once he started to get a persona, not saying all of it was was good, some of it was bad, but once he got persona, then you know the city got turned off. I think a clean slate above everything is the a reason why this is this job is going to be coveted because you know you don't have to worry about the previous GM that made a lot of questionable decisions. And honestly, like when Khan said we we're in salary cap hell, like we basically priced ourselves out the game paying Nick Foles $80 million when I don't think anybody else was willing to pay him like eight. I, I was just, that just rubs me the wrong way that he says that. I mean, yeah, we have room now, but the last couple of years has just been you know, mountains on on top of mountains of bad decisions, and now we have a clean slate. So above all else, that is what makes this a good,
1: good job. I I totally agree. And, and Jay, you and I—that's something we've talked about all the time. Uh, I I don't believe now you you hadn't made it yet, but I was there for the draft party on the night that we took Jalen Ramsey, and the the stadium went absolutely insane when we realized that the Cowboys were taking Ezekiel Elliott which meant we were going to get Jalen Ramsey. So there is a foundation here. And just like Aaron said there, Jay, the slate is clean. So, you know, wh- I mean, what really else does Jacksonville have to do in order to entice some of these big names?
2: Well, first and foremost, I'll say this. I think there are some good things to do. As bad as this season was and as bad as the run was with the regime of Coughlin and Marone and Caldwell, the good thing that came out of this is that they did prove for the wrong reasons, but they did prove it, that the Jacksonville Jaguars can be a desired location. And I think they helped Jacksonville. We can say this, that they helped Jacksonville shed the label as the place that people didn't want to go. They called Will made Malik Jackson a $95 million man. I mean, he didn't make all of the money on that contract, but that was a huge contract at the time. We never had seen anything like it in terms of getting a, a attractive free agent like that. Albeit it didn't work out, uh, Julius Thomas brought him in, um, Calais Campbell, nobody in the world thought we could bring Calais Campbell in. He did bring them in. Um, and it's other guys of that nature, Jalen Ramsey through the draft and so on and so forth. So in terms of the small market label, I don't know that everybody will see it that way. At least players won't necessarily if you pay them properly. And we've seen that in the past. Uh, so, um, in terms of you know your question, if if you know me and you have gone through this plenty of times, if it's uh, the most desirable job, I would definitely say so. Uh, you can make an argument that there are jobs out there with better quarterback positions, ah, uh, but and, and I, I guess you could say those would be Houston, um, the Lions—they got Matthew Stafford. Uh, even Atlanta—they got Matt Ryan. Ah, uh, but that being said. Depending on the type of GM candidate you bring in, it depends on how they, you know, what kind of work they want to take on, what kind of a job they want to take on. This might be a little bit more of a build than those jobs. If they're willing to do that, then this is definitely a a desirable location. I think it should be the most desired because of Trevor Lawrence alone. You know, like if you just stop at Trevor Lawrence, I think any offensive coordinator should want to inherit that and see what they could do, because that you, that could potentially lead to a dynasty when you add in the salary cap. And the few pieces that the Jacksonville Jaguars already have, they have James Robinson, which proved to be a great move when they moved on from Leonard Fournette. The guy put up historic numbers. They have LaVisca Chenault, who I think the coach should be scared of the way he did them dirty this, Friday, uh, this Sunday. Uh, they have DJ Chark, and if DJ Chark gets the right quarterback, we've seen what he can do as well, so... Uh, from that perspective and having Trevor Lawrence and having the most salary cap projected next year, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars certainly should be a low. I mean, like there should be nobody out there that should be denying the Jacksonville Jaguars of an interview because you get such a blank, clean slate. You don't have to deal with the salary cap and Con said, because you'll be it, it'll be very hard to mess that up. You're getting the best quarterback prospect in 10 years or so, whatever the case may be. Um, so you, you you got that going over your head and you're inheriting what little pieces that Dave Caldwell put in place. So the cupboard isn't that bare in terms of the offensive side. You probably got to do a lot of work on the defensive side. But hey, when you got a hundred million in salary cap, we've seen in 2017 that the defense can be fixed so easily in free agency if you want to go that route. Um, and you can do it in the draft as well. So yeah, I think, um, everybody, they should, uh, they, they should basically, uh, cast a wide net because everybody that they offer interview opportunity uh, basically should want to at least interview and hear what the Jags have to
1: say. Well, let's talk about some of these candidates, guys, because, of course, there are quite a few. And we'll discuss the GM candidates here in just a moment. As of right now, the day of recording, January 5th, uh, we do have some meetings set up, some interviews, I should say. Of course, Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs will be here on Wednesday. Uh, the Falcons, Raheem Morris, will be here on Thursday. And the 49ers, Robert Saleh, will be here on Saturday. Uh, So those are some of the names. Also, Brian Dabble has been brought up, the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. But guys, let's talk about the candidate that everyone is talking about. Here's what our owner had to say about him.
4: Uh, And, you know, the rumor of Urban Meyer, obviously, you know, I've known Urban over the years through Big Ten and what have you. And, uh, but, you know, we've not spoken to anyone. Uh, about this job or obviously interviewed him. I mean, this is something, uh, it's just, you know, made the decision this morning. So, uh, you know, there is, um, I'll leave it at that.
1: So we have a very interesting panel here when it comes to Urban Meyer. We have Eric, who has been a, uh, I'd say a moderate Florida Gator fan throughout his entire life. We have Jay, who, of course, is a UGA fan, who, who of course, does not <laughs> like the Florida Gators. And we have Aaron, who is a Florida State fan, who, of course, has a very well-documented hatred <laughs> for the Florida Gators, and I've never liked them. So, Jay, I want to start with you first, because all of this Urban Meyer stuff really kind of picked up steam over the last few days. So we're going to talk about you know all of the candidates, and we've, we've talked about, you and I have already discussed who we would like to see. So I really want to hear what Aaron and Eric have to say in a moment. But as far as an Urban Meyer goes with his history, with his criticisms, what would you think about them bringing? Because admittedly, that is a big name hire. That is the guy that's out there. He, of course, is being targeted supposedly by the Los Angeles Chargers. So when you see and hear all of this Urban Meyer stuff comes up, what comes to mind first?
2: Oh uh, Well, first, I got a notification that I probably should talk about here with uh, Trevor Lawrence from Bleacher Report. Uh, We knew this already, but, um, you know, they were saying in the next day or two, a decision is coming and they have a quote. I haven't opened it yet, but the quote says, obviously, uh, the plan is to move on. So, I mean, that that was pretty much what we already knew. But until he comes out and make it official before, I think the deadline is the 18th to declare for the draft. Um, You know, we'll actually know uh, from him. I guess we'll have to wait to hear from him is what I'm trying to say. Uh, now, in terms of the Urban Meyer thing, first, I want to address what Shad Khan said about not speaking to him. Uh, that's probably BS, because obviously... <laughs> Shad Khan not uh, being honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder, This is this the first time we've ever heard of this, right? Uh, but it's, yeah, it's probably BS, because Meyer, and a lot of people have been saying this, has been reaching out to people in terms of making a coaching staff. And whoever it is, you know, they, you know, whoever he reached out to probably shouldn't have kept their mouth shut. They didn't help the situation, but, you know, they basically exposed his hand. I mean, you don't go and look for a coaching staff unless there is a good chance you'll get the job. Now, that doesn't mean um, it's a guarantee he has the job, but I I think it means he he likely has the job. Now, in terms of Urban Meyer, one thing I can say about this, like you said, it's well documented my dislike for the Florida Gators. Go dogs, by the way. But I think with Urban Meyer, one, I'll, I'll start with what I can respect about him. As a student of the game and all the time and effort I put into film study and this, that, and the other, I respect Urban Meyer from that perspective and what he's done with the spread offense. The spread offense is probably my favorite offense in football. Um, but when you look at the amount of time and effort he has put into the game of football into the quarterback position, uh, you can't help but like it. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy will reach out to his players in the NFL and ask him what works on the NFL level and what doesn't. So his commitment to the actual part of studying the game of football and studying the quarterback position is, um, you know, probably second to none from that perspective. Uh, I do have concerns about whether, you know, he can flourish at the NFL level. We saw what Nick Saban did and how he struggled on the NFL level. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, I think, uh, he could be a guy more along the lines of John Harbaugh. When John Harbaugh came out of from, uh, it was Stanford, if I'm not mistaken, albeit his, his offense was a little bit more, uh, pro ready or, or more closer to the pro realm. Uh, when Harbaugh came into his situation with the 49ers, he flourished right off the bat. Now he, you know, he, he wears on you after a while, that's why he's not there. He's kinda like a Bill Parcellus type of Tom Coughlin type. Uh but I think, you know, Urban Meyer has the possibility or a chance uh to translate like he did or and I'm talking about Harbaugh here, uh when he first got there. But uh, a lot of work has to be done with his team in general. Uh so you know, that's that's something that Urban Meyer has to consider. It's like, you know, do you wanna Uh, It might not be the quickest rebuild. Do you want to go through that? So on and so forth. Of course, we all know about the thing that happened at Ohio State with one of his assistants. And I don't know it like accurately because I don't follow Ohio State like that, should I say. But um, an assistant of his, you know, had a situation where he was abusing his wife. And, you know, that kind of led to Urban Meyer leaving and and so on and so forth. But I, I guess, you know, we've seen it in the past. Uh, football is a second chance game. You know, we, we've seen second chances occur with Michael Vick uh, and many, many other people. And, you know, at the end of the day, probably shot come what he's looking at is the winning perspective and the quarterback thing, What you played the tidbit about. He's looking at this from the perspective of what Urban Meyer has done for the quarterback position. And he probably believes that Urban Meyer is one of the top guys. If you want to develop a franchise quarterback. Uh, there's not many names out there better to do so. And I think that's probably what this boiled down to. Well, let me go to Eric here, because that's actually a question I wanted to ask, Jay, when you talk
1: about the quarterback, because obviously if Urban's the guy, he's going to be working with Trevor Lawrence. So Eric, now me personally, Jay, I, I was kind of curious about that statement, because if you look at some of the quarterbacks specifically now, of course, this is a totally different. Now, Tim Tebow, one of the criticisms of Tebow was that his mechanics were just totally off. And no one had ever tried to correct them because he had all the intangibles, right? So when you look at some of the quarterbacks that have come out from Ohio State, from Florida, that have not been NFL ready, Eric, is that something that concerns you? But also, do you think, you know, when you, when you look as a Gator fan, when you look back at, at, um, at Urban Meyer's tenure and how things ended with Florida and Ohio State, are those things that also concern you? So between the quarterback and also, you know, just his track record, anything there as far as red flags for you?
3: I mean, there's clearly red flags. If you go with Urban Meyer, you are hopefully getting a commitment of four to five years and anything around that is very cloudy and very unsure at best. I mean, that's from his health, from his scandals, from his decisions. You know, what is the cost and what is the reward that you're going to get, you know, what the risk reward factor has to be a play here, right? Because it's Urban Meyer, like he could definitely make the transition and be like, again, a Harbaugh and and, and get to the Super Bowl, right? But what's going to happen? Like if he does that, I don't see long term success with that coach. I think whenever you're looking to hire a coach, you want to hire someone who's going to be there for years with success. Everybody's trying to get the next Belichick. You're not going to get that with Urban Meyer. You're gonna get a very short window of time. I'd say with a veteran QB, that'd be more interesting. I don't know that I'd want to put Trevor Lawrence through that. If I'm being honest, I'd rather get a more established coach with an offensive potential. Eric Bieniemy is my personal choice.
2: Yeah, I will say this Phil, too, and uh, I mean Eric. Um, I, I, yeah, I agree with what most of you, what mostly you have said about Urban Meyer. I, I question the longevity, uh, but at the same time, I think for me. I think four or five years is all he will need to find out if, you know, you're going to continue on with him and if he'll uh, flourish in the the pro realm, if you will. Uh, And and most of the places he's been, as you said, yeah, most of the places he's at least been there four to five years. So, uh, yeah, the commitment, again, that does scare me, his commitment to the pro game, especially if things don't go his way soon. Uh, at the same time, though, we have seen people coming to the NFL from the college realm, again, going back to Harbaugh and uh, have success relatively early in their tenure. Therefore, I don't think he'll need long to find out if he's the guy or not. Uh, so from that perspective, and then we look at what they got with the salary cap and so on and so forth. I think it can be built fast to find out early in Myers' tenure if he's the guy, if they're going to get him. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I would prefer another candidate personally, because again, yeah, all of the scandals and the, you know, just the mindset of like, if he's going to be around and, and so on and so forth, that that aspect does scare me. And I, I mean, yeah, I like the enemy. And also, I think like the guy right now I'm really high on is Brian Daybold. Uh, so yeah, one of those guys for me would be more ideal. Um, Daybold, especially because I guess you could say Daybol is just, he just came from the college realm. He was just with Alabama two, three years ago. And look at what he's doing with Josh Allen as well. That's probably who you want to associate with Trevor Lawrence, if that's what you're going to inherit. So, Aaron, let's go to you. Now, before you came on this episode,
1: you had teased on on social media that you had some things to say. I don't know if it had something to do with Urban Meyer it all. Uh, However, I do want to give you the floor, you know, get taking everything uh, into account that the three of us have just said. Uh, Just same thing with you. When Urban Meyer's name came up, you know, do you trust him to come in and rebuild? You know, this next decade of Jaguar football is going to be the most important in franchise history. So do you want Urban Meyer in charge of that?
0: Uh, No, full stop. (laughs) As a FSU alum, I was at Florida State during the years that he was the coach. As a Seminole, I don't want him. But with my my Seminole, uh, when I Florida State, Alumnus taken out of it. You look at how he, what happened when he was at Florida, like as well documented. Everything that went, what happened, and you know, guys getting arrested. You know, there was Aaron Hernandez there. We all know what happened with that. And basically, Tim Tebow being the the saint amongst all the sinners. And it wasn't hard for Tebow to succeed because the talent that was around him. He starts having chest pains when they start losing. He comes back another year has some more chest pains because they're not winning as much as they did the previous year. We actually sent him on his merry way. Once he left Florida, that was when I believe Luke Fickle was at Ohio State, and everybody in the world could told Florida fans that Urban was going to take that Ohio State job in a year, and they were in denial about it. And sure enough, the two days after the Michigan game – They announced him as head coach. And, you know, he had success again, won national championship. And then the losing starts. And then all all of a sudden I got to think about my health. And then, you know, it wasn't just the thing with his assistant coach. There was the scandal with Braxton Miller and, you know, the signed merchandise they got money for and yada, yada, yada. I just feel like there is a difference between I mean, because he can recruit. And recruiting at the college level is not like recruiting at NFL level because they're not kids, they're men. And you're not going to be able to sell a free agent coming to a place that hasn't been winning like you can a kid going into his mom's house, trying to get him to come to your college to play football. And also, you're going to lose a lot more in the NFL than you are in college. So, if he had chest problems when he was losing, you know, two to three games, he must gonna have he gonna have a lot of heartburn when he's like going ten and six. And you know, Jay mentioned Jim Harbaugh. I feel like Jim Harbaugh has some cachet because he played in the NFL. So you know, there's there's a certain type of experience and knowledge that comes with that. The only other coach that I can think of that has succeeded from college onto the NFL level is Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll had to learn the first time around because he got fired from the Patriots and had to go down to USC to learn how to coach. And I mean, he was coaching grown men anyway, because USC, the talent that was going through there was ridiculous. I mean, was it three Heisman trophies in like five years? So, you know, he knew what he had to do. And when he got another opportunity in Seattle, you know, he's succeeded since then. Like everybody else, uh, Eric Bianimi is my number one choice. I felt like that we've suffered from having defensive minded head coaches for the past. I don't know how long. And having an offensive minded head coach would definitely do us very well, considering the fact that, I mean, having a good defense is not what it used to be because offenses are so potent nowadays. Like it doesn't matter offenses are going to succeed no matter what cuz it's a passing league now. So, what you need from your defense is just maybe two or three stops, two or three key stops a game and let your offense outscore everybody. So, I also have a uh trading card of Eric Bieni when he played with the San Diego Chargers. So, <laughs> uh if he gets hired, I'm going to have to go in the annals of my card collection to find that so he can sign it.
2: Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Aaron said, and Eric too?" I mean, like, I think we're all in cohesion on this. Um, but one thing I wanted to add too is, if you're if you're shot con, and considering what you went through with Tom Coughlin, and Eric alluded to this, kind of, wouldn't you like not want to deal with the drama that Eric was talking about? And don't you want a more drama free option than perhaps Urban Meyer? You know, like so for me, like that's the part that. I wish Shaq Khan would probably put a little bit more into if he's going to consider Meyer, uh, because like, that should be a lesson learned. Now, now don't get me wrong. Now, based off that press conference, it appears Shaq Khan has learned a lot of lessons. Um, and that might be the top one that he needs to learn from was bringing Tom Kaufman into this organization, letting him ruin this organization for the second time the same way that he did in his late tenure in the nineties and early two thousands, by the way. So, I mean, like that's my thing about it. Like, if you learn anything from the Tom Coughlin sh- situation, you probably would stray away from Urban Meyer. I feel like this because Jacksonville is such a Florida
0: Gator centric city that that that's probably why everybody has been so you know happy and jolly with these rumors, the same way that they wanted. Tim Tebow to come play quarterback, even though as a professional he really wasn't that good, but they wanted him here anyway. But I I I believe, I believe (laughs) Garnett.
3: I was f- yeah. I was literally fuming over here. I'm not. We're not going to get into this. I just wanted to say that I object. I wanted you to know that I object. We're not <laughs> going to get into it because this is going to be a really long episode and it's going to get off the rails. But I just wanted to make it. I was I was waiting for Eric to speak up. The- <laughs> I'm just saying we could go over the entire first year <laughs> the one year the one year of good game gameplay that we got. You know, I'm just saying it was a, it was a mad. Year, you guys don't get me started.
1: I'm just gonna go away, Eric. If you want, Eric, if you want, we'll reach out to the powers that be of believe and see if we can get you a believe in Tebow podcast. We we can have
0: a we can have a court like a court case of of is Tebow a good NFL quarterback? And I will go head to head with you, and it'll be there wouldn't be any question once I got done. (laughs) No need to discuss him. Tim's playing baseball now, I believe. So yeah, let him. Although. I will say Tim has gotten better as a, as an analyst because I remember when he first started on SEC Network or ESPN, his, his vocabulary was very light. But, you know, I, I, I've i been impressed with his growth a, as an analyst. So I, I'll give him those kudos.
1: Let's uh, <laughs> let's get into some of the GM candidates that are uh, coming up here, guys, because, Jay, this is also something you and I have spoken about here in recent episodes, in terms of the team. We feel like it has an opportunity to be a quick turnaround, uh, similar to what it was from 2016 into 2017. And that's what Shad Khan was asked. Was he looking for short-term success or a long-term rebuild?
4: Well, if you look at it, I think uh, you wanna have both. So four years ago, when we did the uh, search, the mindset really was uh, with the head coaches I interviewed was, well, you know, we need a rebuild. We need extra time. We need this. We need that. Okay. And, and at least my mindset with one, whatever, three games, my mindset was we have talent here. What would you do? Et cetera, et cetera. And we, I mean, the most success we've had came right after that. Okay. So, I think, you know, we have a great group of young players. Obviously, we're going to have a lead franchise quarterback. So, you know, you can't have a mindset, well, this is a rebuild and it's going to take time, etc. I mean, we have to have a mindset. We're building for the long haul, but there's you have to be able to win at the same time. So I'll go to Eric here first. I love the
1: fact of, Shad Khan just basically admitting, yes, we're taking Trevor Lawrence. That's the best part, I think, of that clip. Uh, But Eric, I'm going to go to you first. You know, I'm going to list off some of these names here. Who here is who has been interviewed already. Of course, ESPN analyst Louis Riddick, former Texans general manager Rick Smith, former Giants general manager Jerry Reese. Uh, They've expressed interest in 49ers vice president of player personnel, Martin Mayhew, Um, as well as uh, they plan to interview former Browns GM Ryan uh, Farmar and a front office executive with the Saints, uh, Terry Fontenot. So, uh, Eric, as far as those names go, um, is there anybody that really stands out to you that you want in in terms of bringing in the players, or is there maybe a name that has not been mentioned there that you would like to see?
3: Honestly, so much of the talk has been about the head coach. I was worried that they were going to make that decision before picking a GM. I mean, that's really what, what the feel has been, especially since the Urban Meyer news, which, you know, to that point, I'm not even sure how much he would be a fit with a NFL GM, but I think we need to make the GM pick right and we need to pick someone who's going to work well with others. I personally love the Lewis Riddick idea. I'm just really high on him. I think that would be a really great way to go. Farmar is interesting for sure. I really just wanted to mention and make clear, though, um, we better not hire Jerry Reese. Um, I don't want it in any capacity at all. If we do that, I'm pretty much just going to give up. because <laughs> that, is, that is an awful hire. Some of these names are, are a little mind boggling. You know, I'm not a big fan of, of Rick Smith. You know, th- there's just a couple of names on there that just, I, I really don't like, I feel like there's a, a stronger pool of head coaches than there are GMs, which is why I think Lewis Riddick is so appealing because it's a little bit away from the norm.
0: I agree with Eric. I like Lewis Riddick. A lot. Um, I feel like him being able to sit back and he he's had a good gig these last few years on Monday Night Football. Being able to listen to him like picket players and, and dissect what teams should do in certain situations, it's almost like he or it feels like he has a good eye for talent. And I mean, Shaq Khan says we have some young players, I mean I don't know if you guys have mentioned this in your podcast, but I'm, I think in the last maybe 10, 11 years, we've, there hasn't been a single first round draft pick that has made it to their second contract with this franchise. They've either been traded, waived, or just let go on some foolishness. Like you have to have somebody that knows that the building blocks start with a draft and then, you know, free agents are going to come and we've basically been living off of free agents for the last five, six years. And I don't know. I I just, we have to get the GM first before the coach. Like I I agree with Eric. I don't know how that was going to fly with that, without the GM, but, uh, give me Riddick and everybody else. Like I I have one track mind right now. Is is Riddick the enemy ticket for life?
1: Yeah, And Jay. Let's go to you because you have been not to say that you haven't been supportive of the Lewis Riddick uh, idea, but you have stated that you would you would want to go somewhere, somebody that has you know more extensive front off experience. Of course, Lewis Riddick does have that experience, but do you have those those reserves still? with Lewis Riddick, especially, I think, as you've mentioned, you know, kind of the Mike Mayock thing in, in, in Vegas being a little iffy. It looked like it was going very well at one point, but then it kind of sputtered at the end.
2: Yeah, taking people from the TV realm scares me a little bit after Mike Mayock. And and the thing with Riddick, and by the way, Mayock, if you really look at his history, and I hadn't really researched this until recently, he hasn't been all that great with the Raiders in terms of their first round picks. And for Riddick, like, it just scares me that he's been away from the game, albeit he's been connected to some capacity through ESPN. It just scares me he's been away from the game for, what, seven years or so uh, off the top of my head. So, you know, that that's my thing with Riddick, um, albeit he is a better candidate than some of these guys that, you know, that we've mentioned. Uh, he's sure to me probably would be a, uh, a better candidate than Farmer. Uh, because we all know what happened with him with TechScape with the Cleveland Browns where he was texting coordinators and stuff during the game and uh, had to be suspended for that. Like, I mean, you just have to know you can't do that kind of stuff. Like, so, you know, that, that's a guy that I'm going to say H no to. Um, but in terms of who I would want, I mean, well, I guess we already had this uh, in the solo episode I did a few weeks ago. The guys that I had circled was uh, Mike Barganzi from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's been there since like '08, something like that. Um, Joe Horditz from the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, he's learned from Ozzie Newsom, arguably the best GM to ever do it. He learned from Ozzie Newsom for 20 years. Like you can't beat that. Um, Ed Dodds was the other guy, and that's from the um, the Indianapolis Colts. He's their assistant GM. Uh, Dodds has learned from the Seattle Seahawks tree. Now, say what you want about the Seattle Seahawks defense and all of that, but their front office executives are probably Top four, or whatever the case may be. So those were my guys. Um, I do like that uh, a lot of the guys they're interviewing are, um, you know, African Americans. That's good. That shot kind of looks to be trying to go that way. Uh, one other thing I want to add: um, what scares me about the Meyer thing, especially, is and our comrade from Believe, Tony Pauline, has talked about this. Uh, he actually might have been the one that broke the report on this. Is a lot of the reason why the Jaguars reportedly are high on Urban Meyer is because Balky, Trent Balky, the interim GM introduced him to or, or put his name, um, in the bid. So a lot of people are thinking that it could be a Balky Meyer, uh, connection in terms of, you know, the GM and head coach. And I would absolutely not like that. Albeit Trent Balky did, uh, end up in the Super Bowl once with Colin Kaepernick and company. Um, but, You know, it was some things that went on over there in San Francisco, you know, that I I wasn't all that high on. I know they had Chip Kelly, uh, the fallout with Harbaugh in in the end, that is. Uh, So that scares me. I I don't want Trent Baalke as the GM for this team. Um, But, you know, I would go with one of the three guys that I just named in terms of the – from the other podcast. And I would also – I wouldn't mind Fontenot from the New Orleans Saints. And when you look at his background, the reason I say that is because – Fontenot has not only been with the Saints since they've been winning and since the Sean Payton days, he was there before that. So he's seen the worst of the Saints, basically when they were called the Aints and, and what have you, and he's seen the best of it. So he's seen how you can morph a team into what it needs to be uh, from, you know, from starting from scratch to getting where they are now. And also he's been around one of the elite coaches in football period And that's Sean Payton that's in college or whatever you want to talk about. When it comes to the game of football, you can't um, skip the name Sean Payton and what he's done, albeit he's only gotten one Super Bowl in what last decade or so. Uh, But they've been, you know, consistently in the playoffs since he's been their guy. So, you know, if you're going to take a chance on a young guy, I say go for him or if not him, one of the three guys that I named in the other podcast.
1: Yeah, because I'm certainly high on bringing in somebody who is. From a um, you know from an organization that's had a lot of success, of course, the, like you just mentioned there, Jay, um, the uh, Baltimore Ravens, Seattle Seahawks, New Orleans Saints. That's the route that I'm thinking. Again, just as as all of you echoed, I'm really happy that we're looking at a lot of candidates of color. You know that that's great. And uh, admittedly, I am a fan of Lewis Riddick as well. Um, I, again, I, I just just like Jay said, do worry about some of the time he spent away from the game directly. Um, now, he, if you do look at his track record, though, he has hit on some of these uh, some of these prospects as far as, you know, his, his analysis. Um, I believe I'm trying to remember who the most recent one was, but he's he's got the track record as far as looking at it from afar. Uh, Aaron, while, you know, everyone was talking, I did have to bring up the, ta- <laughs> the last 10 years of first round draft picks because it really it just even though I probably knew this in the back of my mind, I'm just going to rattle off some of these names since 2010. Tyson Nalualu, Blaine Gabbert, Justin Blackman, Luke Jokel, Blake Bortles, Dante Fowler Jr., Jalen Ramsey, Leonard Fournette, Taven Bryan, and then now, of course, recently, Josh Allen, CJ Henderson, Caleb on chase Hopefully those three guys change the trend. But looking at these names gave me heart pain. I feel like the, in my in my mind, emotionally, the last first round
0: pick that I remember staying longer than three or four years is Fred Taylor. And that was 20 years ago.
1: I know it's been some since then. Well, I think I think Alu Alu made it for his second contract, right? I'm pretty sure he, we re-signed him, didn't we? I think they probably extended him for like a year and then traded him to Pittsburgh. Jay, what's the what, what's the thing?
2: Is it Alu Alu? Was he was he around for two contracts? Uh, wait. What what was the? I was uh, researching some Lewis Redick stuff because I had a comeback on what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I <know. laughs> no, I
1: was just looking at the last ten years of first round picks to see if anyone had made it to a second contract. And I, I thought Alu Alu was the only one since tw- uh dating back to twenty ten. I don't even think Alu Alu made or it. Or did we just contract. Or did we just give him that fifth round
2: option. Maybe that's what it was. Then I don't even I don't think the fifth round option was around then either. I don't if I can recall, mm-hmm. now look, my because I didn't watch a lot of Jaguars football over the team, a lot of bad football at that. So my mind's not clear on that. But I don't think they read, they they re-signed Tyson all the wild. Eric, do you still have your Reggie Nelson jersey?
3: I, I don't. I I don't even know who... G- I think you gave me that. I
1: couldn't have possibly purchased that, yeah. It was mine. <laughs> yeah. I, I gave it to you. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, but but yeah,
2: no, Jay, what were we going to... You had a follow-up on Lewis Riddick? Yeah, if I can recall, I was trying to look it up when he said this. Wasn't Lewis Riddick the guy that like, put Jalen Ramsey oh, probably, like gosh. fourth? in the cornerback rankings or defensive back rankings during the 2016 draft. Oh, was he? I don't, I don't remember that. Well, if he did, that was a horrible take. How were the other DBs in that draft? (laughs) I mean, clear cut, uh, clear cut and dry is what I was trying to say. Jalen Rousey should have been a top three prospect in that draft period, let alone comparing him to other defensive backs. But, you know. Everybody misses on them.
0: Yeah, I, I'd I'd have to look at the other defensive backs because I don't think there were many.
1: Here are the other names that came up. Uh, let's see. This is an article. Uh, oh wait, well, you know this is just ranking the cornerbacks that came out. And never mind, I don't have it. I I, I apologize. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I mean we we'll, we'll definitely have to look into that because that's questionable decision making, of course, on on behalf of of Lewis Riddick. So. Um, Actually, no, I do have it. So it was Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Number two was Vernon Hargraves. Number three, Eli Apple. Four, William Jackson, the third from Houston. And then five was Kendall Fuller. (laughs) Is Eli Apple still in the league? He's with the Saints, right? Eric, do you know? Eli, big apple. All right. Well, I'm doing okay. So, well, you know what, guys? Uh, we're going to wrap up here shortly. I, I think we got a lot of really, really good stuff. And in terms of the future, I'm going to put everybody on the spot here, though, uh, uh, here to, to wrap up the episode. And just a few words, a few sentences, whatever you'd like to do. Eric, I'm going to have you go first. If you had to wrap up and explain the 2019 or the 2020. NFL season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What would you say to someone?
3: Well, I would tell them not to come on a Jaguar show and predict a top 15
4: defense. uh,
1: (laughs) You said you didn't want to talk about it, but we'll talk about it if we want to because Jay. So, Aaron, if you don't know, in the very beginning of the season, me, Eric, and Jay did an episode where we made predictions of how the Jaguar, you know, uh, bold predictions, hot takes. For how the Jaguars' season was going to go, Eric stated that the Jaguars would have what was it a top fifteen defense? I think is what you said. Yeah, I said I, I said a top fifteen defense.
3: You know, probably around the cusp of the fifteen. By the way, not like you know really high, but also NFL it, it, in the NFL. But um, I, I attributed a lot of that to the uncertainty of COVID and just the talent overall. Even though there were a lot of rookies playing, um, I really thought that the offense, though would probably
1: struggle. So I did say they were going to be in the bottom 20. <laughs> and Jay went with uh, that. Josh Allen would finish top three in sacks. And what was the number, Jay? Was it was
2: it 18, 16? What was the number? Like 17 or something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, as we all know, he went on IR and uh, that went down a drain. I mean, that, you kind of dealt with a similar situation too with Josh Oliver. He, he had to be IR.
1: Yeah, so Aaron, <laughs> so Aaron, I went with, Josh Oliver will lead the team in touchdown catches. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I went hot. You guys, we said hot. I went hot. (laughs) Aaron, someone comes to you and asks, how did the Jaguars do this year? What are you going to tell them? (laughs) I'll tell you this. We have had
0: some of the worst injury luck out of any franchise ever. It's like the only time we're really good is if we stay healthy.
1: Or other people get hurt. Like. Like 2017. Yeah, like
0: I mean, even, <laughs> even going back to that year after we went to the AFC championship, like at the Patriots game, I believe Cam Robinson got hurt for the year during that game. It was almost like once he got injured for the year, that was like the beginning of the end of that year. And just every year after that, it's just been one little one little small injury after another.
1: Allen Robinson, another one, when he tore his ACLs, was just like, man, and that was all she wrote for Allen Robinson. Here, he he picked out so, and he's about to do the same thing to the Bears. Um, I when I got to talk to my buddies over there at the Bear Essentials podcast, they're they're worried about that happening. So, Eric, I cut you off there, but is there anything else you would add on uh, as far as wrapping up or, or explaining? the 2020 season for the Jaguars.
3: No, I mean, what I would say, just, you know, in addition to not going on a, on a podcast and making predictions for the Jaguars until they prove themselves, you know, I think I would just say that looking back, I'm hoping that we can see some real progress from this moment. I mean, this is the lowest of lows. Uh, the only lower <laughs> lower moment from here is going 0-16, honestly, but we did it in a year where we're going to get a prospect that is highly touted. Um you know the Colts did it with Andrew Luck and we kicked ourselves for for letting them do that. You know, this is our chance now and I think they have to get these hits right. I don't think they can afford to make mistakes. They have to get the right GM, the right coach, and hopefully the quarterback is as good in the NFL as he was in college. So all those things need to come together. It's not easy or a guarantee at all, but I would definitely say that there's a bright future here and I think we'll look back at this as being a necessary down year, and uh if we don't, then that means we just still are Jaguar fans, even though they suck for another twenty years.
1: and Jay, to wrap us up here shortly, uh, you know as you, you've had a very unique perspective, of course, you have to cover this team on a daily basis, and you know you're a lot stronger willed than the three of us. I'll say that you have to go in there, and no matter how frustrating the team is, you got to cover them. so as far when you look back at this season as a necessary evil, as Eric and Aaron have said. You know what are you gonna think about?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna think about. Uh, basically, I'm gonna be. I'm. I guess I would say what I'll probably think about with the Jacksonville Jaguars is how that Doug Marone statue got in the front of the stadium because we'll be able to reflect on it. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm for real, man. Let's put him in the pride of the Jags and get that statue going, man. Put it, put it right next to the big Jaguar statue that's in in front of the stadium. Let's let's get this man the, the respect he deserves for for taking that one win season for us and, and leading us into the best prospect uh, that we've had in ten years. And by the way, um, by the way, when uh, Aaron said he hoped we don't jaguar this up, I guarantee that we won't jaguar this up because I cut all the phone lines in the front office. I'm gonna say this: I, I hope I hope that we're in a place come
1: April where COVID is under control and, and we can watch together. And maybe we're sitting in a bar somewhere and we hear <laughs> we Roger Goodell come up to the podium and say, we have a train. <laughs> and then we look at Jay and we uh, and then we get mad because he missed a phone line and it will be his fault. That's what I'll think about uh, when it hopefully when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to the end of the draft. <laughs> Well apparently it's gonna be Mac Jones, according to our colleague at Believe in the Titans, who wants us to take Mac Jones. <laughs> no. <laughs> What'd you say, Jack? Oh, that's true. <laughs> We bring you the number one overall pick here shortly. But first, a word from Campbell's Chunky Soup. And then we're going to get to the number two pick and whoever the Jets are are going to select. But guys, uh, this has been a lot of fun, Uh, you know, in in a crazy year, as far as what I'm going to think about. For a team that went 1-15, there was so much that happened. And even though towards the end, you know, just rooting for the team and rooting for the Jets to win. And uh, obviously, of course, for the Jaguars to lose. It was insane. And I can't just the roller coaster of emotions over the last few weeks of the season, watching the Jets somehow screw this up and put us in position to get this once in a lifetime prospect, I think is something I'm going to remember for a very, very long time. But with that being said, guys, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. But of course, Aaron and Eric, I want to give you guys an opportunity to plug both of your projects. So Aaron, where can they find the Sports is to Life podcast? And of course, anything else that you're working on?
0: Well, um. My on on top of my wedding, my coworker also actually had a kid. So, you know, we haven't had much time to tape lately, but it is on uh iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. Um, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at sports is to life. And uh yeah, we've we we were scarce taping throughout the year as, you know, COVID hit everybody hard, but you know, we're we're we still put out content every now and again. It's it's fun.
1: Absolutely. And then Eric, of course, you know, my co-host over at the Wait For It podcast, I can speak for both of us when I say we have a whole lot to look forward to in 2021. Where can they find all that content? And of course, anything else? Yeah, you can
3: find on? us at the Wait For It podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Wait For It podcast, on Twitter at Wait For It pod. We're pretty much everywhere that you're streaming. So if you're listening to this podcast, the Believe in the Jaguars, then you can find us probably now, I'll probably recommend two episodes. We've got, well, almost almost 200 now. Uh, we've been doing this for quite a bit. Every Monday and Wednesday, we release new episodes, and our most recent two were our 2021 Foresight and Predictions episode with our guest uh, Landon, a personal friend. If you like this episode and the banter, I really think you'll enjoy that. And then we also finished up the month of December with our monthly episode called What Did I Miss? So we pretty much cover everything in entertainment, gaming, and much, much more in that pretty much monthly recap show. So check it out. Let us know if you like it. And again, uh, hit us up on
1: that social media. We'd really appreciate the support. Yeah, Eric, it's always, uh, and I'll speak for Jay on this too. It's always, you know, just a blast when the three of us get together because we all pretty much got our start at the same time. And then that allows us to meet people like Aaron and, and work together and all that stuff. So, you know, Jay, to wrap us up, what else do they have to look forward to? Not only, of course, on the podcast, but over on the Jaguars Wire.
2: I already told you what we got to look forward to. And that's Doug Marone going into pride of the Jack.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he already has the article written up and so the draft is ready to go.
2: I probably deserve it. I probably deserve it. But, uh yeah, as Phil said, man, I'm going to have a lot. I mean, basically I'm going to be a human tracker for these candidates and, you know, this, that, and the other, who they're interviewing, uh, who's going to get a second interview. Um, any other names they may interview besides the ones that we mentioned. And I, I do hope they, uh, again, like Shaikhan said, cast a wide net and continue to interview people because there's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't. So in terms of the podcast, we'll continue to get on guests. I mean, with it being the off season, we'll probably veer towards draft-centric type of guests. Uh, so, you know, me and Phil will get to work on that start talking to draft, start talking to Trevor Lawrence as that decision is coming. By the way, we'll have the latest on that as well whenever the decision is made. Uh so yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean in a nutshell it'll be I'll be on Trevor Lawrence watch. I will be on watch for GM candidates. I will be on watch for head coaching candidates and I will be looking for uh, the announcement of Doug Morone going into the pride at the Jaguars.
1: Well, when that happens, you guys, you can find that, of course, on the Jaguarswire.com. Make sure you check that out for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Again, if you're enjoying the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review as well as subscribe. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. We are, of course, also at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. Thank you guys so much for joining us here. Remember, we believe in Trevor Lawrence, and we believe that the future is going to be very, very bright, and we hope you believe too. We'll see you next time, guys.